0: Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily
1: Bible Podcast.
0: Hey there. Welcome to uh, a raspy version of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, I'm
1: Pastor Rod. <laughs> Welcome back, guys.
0: If you uh, don't know what's going on, uh, <laughs> my voice left on Sunday after preaching. After preaching, I thankfully. And it's, it's working its way back, but it's a, it's a slow process. Slow but steady. Yeah. So uh, Pastor Rod's going to do a lot of the talking, and I'm just going to be here to- uh, To
1: say yes and smile. To chime in every once in a while. That's a yeah, see This is it's funny because again we told you we don't really prepare for these. Nope. We just we just show up have, having done our own study. I guess we don't want to say that we're not unprepared. <laughs> right. We don't even read our Bible for this. Guys. We don't even know. <laughs> we, we just don't. we just open up We'll open okay, the let's Bible. Let's see what happens. Yeah, but uh, but so that's it, it's it's fun. So. Here's another thing. Uh, Pastor PJ is, is still recovering from sickness. And, and most of you knew by this point that my family yep. uh, is in the ER, not ER, well, we're in the ICU. Uh, Phoebe has RSV, which is materialized into bronchiolitis. Uh, so I don't know if it's at both end. I don't know how that works, but she, she's having difficulty breathing. So she's in the ICU. Kristen's been there, been there since Sunday, uh, Sunday this, this week, whenever you're listening to this. And it looks like we'll be there until the end of the week, until Friday, uh, which so the nurse told us Friday at the earliest, she's still on a lot of oxygen support, so they can't let her go until she's off of oxygen and able to breathe just the room air without assistance for eight hours. So we're, we we still have several days ahead of us. But I've been so proud, Pastor PJ, of our church. Um, I've been so excited to see the way that our church has reached out and has provided such practical care. It's good. People that love us, people that we love, obviously, and. Um, and, and you, some people might think, well, of course you're one of the pastors are going to do that for you because you're one of the pastors. And that's uh, maybe that's, that's a possibility, but I've seen this show multiple times. This, this is not just us. We're not, we're not unique, uh, exceptional rather in that I've seen lots of families receive the same kind of support. And it's been so cool because our church has stepped up their game and I'm, I'm proud of us, man. Yep. Our church, even though she's a baby. Uh, she is still beautiful and she's still stepping up to the plate in a lot of amazing ways. So what, way to go, Compass. I, I'm honored and proud to be your pastor. Yep. I, your I echo pastor? those sentiments.
0: Yeah, 100%. And yeah, you're right. We've seen that with other families and, and how the church has stepped up and even visitors that will constantly give their feedback of, man, I, I just felt so warmly welcomed by the church there. And that's that's
1: awesome. Let's that's, that's, that's fight to keep that, man. Yep. I don't know what we're doing. I, I guess it's the Lord working through the preaching and the, everything else, but man, I would love for that to be a mark of our church that care, that concern, that that authenticity that we talk about in our distinctives, you know. Yep. Authentic sacrificial leadership, the people that love each other. Man, that's a that's a precious thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that 100%. Well, let's jump in to Exodus 4, 5
1: and 6. <clears throat> Are, are you going to confess that really what's going on here is that you've taken up smoking? Yes. And let's just talk about that.
0: Yeah. So, no, somebody on Sunday told me, they were like, Pastor PJ, this is what you would sound like if you were a smoker. I was like, I, okay.
1: Busted. Thank you. Busted. They were giving you a chance to yeah. repent, bro. They are saying, hey, if you want to say it, you know, there's-
0: It's like if Bob Dylan took up preaching.
1: <laughs> and yeah, and turn to the Exodus. And, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Exodus four through six. Uh, Exodus chapter four. Um, Moses is doubt. Uh, you'll notice here how many times is it? I think it's three or four times that it says, but And Moses answered, but verse 10, Moses said, but verse 13, <laughs> but he said, and, and, and sometimes with my kids, <laughs> I, I get frustrated with my kids when I hear either myself or my wife, give them an instruction or a command. And the answer that we get is, but, 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 yep, uh, but yep. it's like, that's not your, your job. Your job is to say from yes, your kids, yes, yes mom, dad. yes, dad, and, and do it. Moses, your job is not to say, but to God it's to say, yes, God, okay, I trust you. And yet time and time again, in, in these opening 17 verses of chapter four, at least he protests and in uh, and doubts. And its I think it's easy for us because after all, we're, we're sitting there going, Moses, you're talking to a bush that's on fire and not being burnt out. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. the, the, the absurdity of it just, right. just
0: kind of washes over, you forget, but that's true. He's talking to a bush. Right. Right. <laughs> and you're protesting. You're, you're saying, I mean, can you imagine if there were any shepherds in Someone's the area? walking by. They're going, what, what is he talking to? Wait, has he been smoking some of that bush? <laughs> like what's going on? Anyways. And, and we know the rest of the story. But remember, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace. He, he grew up knowing how powerful this nation was, this country was. And he also, at this time, is thinking, man, I'm a wanted man back in Egypt. And so as soon as I step foot back there, I'm a dead man. And God, you want me to go back? You want me to free the, the, the people of Israel, the slaves mm-hmm. from Pharaoh, one of the most powerful people in the, the known universe at the time? Are you, are you serious? So I think his doubt, when we understand it from a human perspective, sense, yeah. is
1: understandable. Yeah, but even with that, even with that, and your point is well taken, I think all of us at some point have felt that sense of, Lord, please, anybody but me. Yeah. Which he essentially says, and and to be sure, God's not happy with this. Verse 14, it says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and said, fine, fine, Moses. What about Aaron, your brother? Which I think is a remarkable conda. Cond- condescension condescension I always think condensation but that's not the right word condescension better yeah what a remarkable condensation (laughs) that word (laughs) yep (laughs) I haven't slept that well either so I'm just gonna say it Uh, God is so kind not to destroy him and instead to work with him and I think that's an important point both parts are important we can't tell God no uh, but God is willing to work with us where we are Right. God doesn't expect us to be fully baked and prepared to do the things that he calls us to do. And so many times God's going to call you to a season or a situation or a thing to do, a place of service where you're going to feel like, I'm not ready, Lord. Am I, is this? Should I do this? The answer is yes. If God's making it evident by the people in your life, by the council, if God himself is telling you from the burning bush, which probably won't happen to you, but if that's happening you should do what he says. Just trust that God will provide along the way. And so many times I've seen this over and over again in my life and other people's lives. Don't be a Moses and tell God no.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In verse 14, it's interesting because when God signals out Aaron, he calls him the Levite, which Moses was a Levite. And so what's the significance here of, of God calling out Aaron as a Levite? There's a couple of options there. Number one is potential that the Levites were already stepping into a bit of a, a priestly function. Um, or it, it, God is, is signaling him out as a, a Levite among Levites. He's a, a Levite par excellence, so ah. to speak. And uh, certainly foreshadowing because Aaron's going to become the, the first high priest there of Israel in the, the Levitical role there. So um, significant there in, in verse 14 as as, Levites, as Aaron is called out there.
1: Oh, very interesting. Yeah.
0: Well, then verses 18 through 31, Moses is uh, is now going to agree. He's going to go back to, to Egypt. And it's interesting here because there's three vignettes focusing on family in this section. In it, verses 18 through 20, you get Moses' fam, to uh, to use the, the young language here. <coughs> <laughs> and then uh, verses 21 through 23, God's fam. And then uh, verses the end there, uh, you've got Zipporah. Uh focused on on her son in the familial relationship of his poor and her son What there. a
1: weird situation that is too.
0: It is it is initially here moses goes back and, and gathers his his family together um, and uh, just quite a, a difference between moses relationship with with uh, jethro and the the father-in-laws that we've seen In the past with laban and, and others moses seems to have a, a much better relationship With his father-in-laws. He says hey, we got to go and his father-in-law gives him the blessing there <coughs> This is fun This is fun. Uh, And then verses 21 through 23, you've got this passage, which is significant in the history of Israel, because here God singles out Israel as his firstborn, his firstborn son. And uh, this is the, uh, the only place in the Old Testament that Israel is called God's firstborn. And here it's it's intended to convey. Um, the, the significance that, that Israel holds in God's eyes. The firstborn was, uh, was high, held in high esteem, was separated, was different from the others. And so God is expressing his affection there, uh, towards his people, Israel. Uh, and then you also get the, the allusion to the fact that, or the statement, the clear statement, the prophetic statement that he's going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Have we talked about that so far? I don't think so. This is actually the first
1: occurrence of this statement within the whole corpus of Exodus. So it's worth bringing up now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, if you go to Romans chapter nine, uh, verses 14 through 18, therein you get God talking about this and saying that God raised Pharaoh up in order that he would be able to get glory over Pharaoh. And here you see him saying, I'm going to harden your heart. I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. And, and I think when we look at the story of Pharaoh, we see both human responsibility and divine actions in view. Um, you get Pharaoh hardening his own heart, and then at other times, God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And right. so it's a it's a dual relationship here, wherein it's not as though Pharaoh is a victim of God's uh, megalomania here. It, it, it's really, Pharaoh is hardening his heart. And in all Romans chapter one, I think God is turning Pharaoh over to the desires of his heart uh, by further hardening his heart and and even actively taking a a role in that as well.
1: Yeah, and I guess the important thing here as we work through this, this is heavy theology. Romans 9 is heavy theology. Um, God ultimately is a decision maker. He is the decider and you might in your heart recoil at that place and position God has because it seems to us from our human perspective well, God is just choosing this person nilly willies. I'm going to make an example out of you and I'm going to raise you up so that I might crush you. Um, don't make this a caricature. I would be very cautious in your mind to start bringing down God to human-like levels. And that's the temptation for all of us. We read stuff like this and we start thinking, well, I would never do that. How could God do that? We start getting a a little nervous. And I think it's appropriate for there to be a heaviness there. This is not a small potatoes kind of doctrine. But it is the truth of what Scripture presents over and over and over again. God is in control and we are not. He's the one who's leading the entire show and he will ensure that that his ends and purposes are met, which is why we can take such confidence and such comfort in the fact that anything that happens in our lives, God's working all things out for his glory and for our good. If it weren't the case, if he weren't able to do that, even to the level of who rules and who doesn't rule or who submits and who doesn't submit, then then that would be an empty promise. Yeah. His Romans 8 protection demands his exodus four sovereignty. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Well, then we get to Zipporah here at the end and we'll, we'll return to the hardening uh, later on as in a couple of days, we'll see a lot of that take place in the, uh, the outworking of the plagues. But uh, end of chapter four, verses 24 through 26, you get the situation with Zipporah's son, uh, Zipporah and Moses' son. Now, the traditional interpretation says that that verse 24, Moses is in view that God sought to put Moses to death. Zipporah then circumcises Moses' son and takes the foreskin and throws it at the feet of Moses and says, You're bridegroom of blood to me. Uh, that's a possible interpretation. Um, it's the traditional interpretation. And the view has been, well, Moses was disobedient. He should have circumcised his son because he didn't. Therefore, the Lord was seeking to put him to death. Zipporah intervenes and does what Moses should have done. And Zipporah is angry with Moses because she was put in the position of having to do this. That's kind of the traditional understanding of this text. Mm-hmm. There's another view that I was introduced to uh, actually by Dwayne Garrett, who's a professor at Southern Seminary. I like him. And, uh, That's my favorite guy. <clears throat> he suggested that, uh, he pointed out, number one, that, that Moses is not mentioned anywhere in these verses specifically.
1: Right. You have to make some guesses about who those pronouns refer to.
0: Right. When the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Who is that? Yeah, who's the him? Um, and Garrett suggests that this could be the son. That yeah. this could be Moses' Gersham. son. Yep, Gershom, the Probably firstborn. Gersham. Yeah. Yep, and uh, and so Zipporah goes and, and circumcises her son in order to spare him of the wrath of God against him, and then takes the foreskin and touches his feet with it. Now, uh, the the feet uh, are could euphemistic. Be a euphemism. Yeah, could be. Not always. Not always. But in this case, it seems like it makes sense. Yeah. And uh, herein, you'll notice the ESV says Moses' feet, but I believe that the Masoretic text is his feet with it. I don't. I don't think it's, it's Moses. Again, I think that's an interpretive decision made by the editors there.
1: The, the Hebrew says his, yeah. His.
0: So uh, this could be that she's touching her son's feet with that. Um, and then when she says, you are a bridegroom of blood to me, uh, Garrett points out that for her to call Moses a bridegroom would be to re- be basically the equivalent of referring to him as a, her brother-in-law at this point um, that it was a unique term that a wife wouldn't use for a husband oh. at this point, post marriage. Interesting. So culturally, this is even out of step with what the the normal language would be, but rather it comes from a, a word that can in the Arabic, which is her background mean uh, covenant. And so she could be saying, you are now a son of the covenant. You are now part of the covenant family in calling him this bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So all that to say, this is a, this is a little bit of a muddy passage, but there's a couple of different ways of looking at it.
1: And, and neither way would do any violence or injury to our interpretations or to any of our doctrines. It's just a recognition that sometimes these are more challenging than you right. initially read. Right. And uh, we were just talking before the podcast. Sometimes the more you dig, the more you realize, Oh, this is, this is, this is challenging. There's a lot more here. Yeah. So it'd be okay with that. This is a good, the, the regular interpretation. The traditional one doesn't, change a whole lot We're just trying to figure out, okay, who's God talking to here? There's a little bit of ambiguity.
0: Right. There is chapter five then. Well, I I should say the end of chapter four, things start really well. Moses shows up and the people are excited. They believe they're thinking, yeah, this is going to be great. And then chapter five, this pump in there.
1: Like, yeah, here we go. Finally,
0: Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, Hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, yeah, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, one thing's interesting the, the three days journey, and that's what God had told Moses to do. And that's what Moses asked for, but that wasn't what was in the goal. so that's interesting. Um, yeah God, what do you make of that? In Exodus 3:18, God says you're going to ask for a three-day journey, so that's why Moses does that. Um, Augustine was uh, or Augustine, depending on your pronunciation, mm-hmm. was the first to suggest that this may imply uh, just the general gradation of these requests to show how obstinate Pharaoh's heart was. and so God starts small knowing as he's already said, that Pharaoh wasn't going to grant this request before right. eventually the request is let us go completely uh, free us, set us free completely yeah. for your people. Interesting. Yeah. So it could be that, that as Augustine said, that this is going to be the, the gradual uh, hardening of his heart. Um, Garrett makes the point that this would not be out of step in Egy- Egyptian culture, uh, which valued its, its holy days. And so the the fact that they're asking to do this, uh, Pharaoh's response even shows the, the hardening of his heart already because the Egyptians held holy days in high regard and held messages from God in high, high regard. So for Pharaoh to reject this request as he does here, uh, shows that, that he is quite hostile towards God, even from the outset here by that. That sounds plausible. <clears throat> yeah. Well, his response then is he's going to make things more difficult by taking away the supplies from the people. They have to gather their own straw now, which would have been uh, not readily available in any one locale. So they would have had to be spread out throughout the entire region, looking for straw to be able to fulfill their quota, and, uh, and he accuses the people of being idle, being lazy, saying, verse 17, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. The people are angry then. Obviously, they say, you've made a stink in the eyes of, of Pharaoh, verse 21. And then Moses turns to the Lord. This is going to be a common theme here as the Exodus unfolds. And he complains to the Lord and says, well, what are you doing? Why why are why we? did you ever send me? Why are we
1: here? Why are we doing this? Yeah. Which tells me that at, the, at minimum here, and there's a lot of application I think we can draw from this, but at minimum. We can recognize that obedience doesn't always mean favorable responses. Right. They they, they did what they're supposed to do. God put them in that pickle. And God's not apologizing to, to Moses. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I don't know. I don't know what happened. God does not promise that obedience is going to lead to immediate blessing. He does promise blessing. The question is, what what's the timing of that blessing? There is a blessing inherent in the obedience itself. They, Moses and Aaron did what they were supposed to do. There's a blessing that will be inherited at the at the resurrection or even at your death, perhaps. When you go to see the Lord, there will be blessing there. But there may not be blessing in the interim. And that's where we are, sadly, in Exodus chapter 5. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when you wrestle with your kids and you kind of let
0: them win for a little bit before you remind them that you're...
1: You're still the dominant one. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I wonder Body if God's, slam them. God's doing that with Pharaoh a little bit here. He's like, okay, Pharaoh, I'll let you flex a little bit because then your humiliation is going to be that much greater when yeah. I, consequently, is glory too. Right. Right. That's the idea.
1: Right. Greater humiliation, greater glory.
0: Totally. Yep. All right. Well, chapter six. Chapter six. Um, yeah. God reassures at the beginning there, Moses reassures Moses that his plan is still active and that he's still going to do what he promised he would do. Um, Verses two through eight is a a bit of a poetic mashup of the Abrahamic covenant and the still valid promise that God would deliver his people after hearing their groanings. Uh, There's a couple of inclusios here. An inclusio is something that starts a poem and ends a poem. Uh, This isn't a formal poem, but Some of the elements are there when he says I am the Lord verse 2 and verse 8 And then he references abraham isaac and jacob in verse 3 and also abraham isaac and jacob in verse 8 And so a suggested outline Of this section uh, Verses 2 through 8 You've got god saying that he appeared to their to the forefathers in verse 3 Then you've got him referencing the covenant promise uh, Of land in verse 4 and then you have him saying i've heard your groans in verse 5 And then you've got him saying in response to those groans, verse six, that he would deliver the people. And then in verse seven, he would be their God, the covenant language again. And then finally in verse eight, again, returning to the covenant language, he would give them the land of Canaan. So again, it's a mashup of the Abrahamic covenant and his promise to deliver the people from Israel that we find here in the first eight verses, at least
1: of chapter six. Verse three says, uh, so, okay, verse two, God spoke to Moses, said to him, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God almighty. uh, But by my name... The Lord Yahweh—that's his covenant name—I did not make myself known to them. So it's either literally to be understood that God never revealed the, the name Yahweh to them, or it's a figure of speech that means that they didn't understand Yahweh the way that Moses now has understood him in the revelation of the burning bush, etc. So I don't—I don't know. I, I tend to lean on the second—the second solution to that text rather than the first one. I, I think probably Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew. In some sense, God's covenant name, although the expression of his character and his being probably much more clear in Moses' experience of God at the burning bush. What do you think about that, Pastor PJ? Yeah,
0: I would agree. I think um, there's a contrast that uh, is between Shaddai, which means God Almighty, and Elohim, uh, or Yahweh, rather, which is the I am, the, the covenant, the relational name of God. And I think that's what we see here is the relationship is being stressed more from this point on between God and his people, whereas in the past it was it was very much of the the worship, the the power, the sovereignty, which are all those things are obviously still in view with God moving forward, but there's a unique relationship that now he has with his people that right. he's entering into with this present tense re- revelation of himself, "I am presently, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, I am your God, I, I right. implication I will continue to be your God, so yeah, I would agree with that.
1: yeah, perhaps we haven't said it recently, but we'll just say it for your sake. in verse three, when you see capital L capital O-R-D, all capitals, that is English Bible shorthand for Yahweh, um, which is God's covenant name, what he revealed to Israel uh, in Exodus chapter three. Um, Capital L, lowercase O-R-D, is the word Adonai, which means like master or or Lord. I guess Lord still works. Lord, master, uh, you know, the higher ranking person. So just to be clear on those, don't confuse those.
0: Right, which, yeah. I think we've mentioned this before, but if not, uh, the... Jews in, in effort not to pronounce the the name Yahweh in the scriptures because they, they held that name in such high regard that they didn't want to ever pronounce it in an in an unworthy manner. They pointed, they put the vowel points into Yahweh for Adonai mm-hmm. so that when they were reading it, they would remember to read Adonai instead of Yahweh when they got to that word. Well, when you pronounce Yahweh with the vowel points for Adonai, you get the word Jehovah. And so when you hear the word Jehovah, Jehovah was never God's intended revelation, revealed name of himself. Mm-hmm. And it was not not even a name that the jews they pronounced up. they the they, they mashup <laughs> they
1: mashed up two words in right. order
0: to bring it together but they would never even they wouldn't say jehovah in reading they would say adonai because right. they would see the vowel points never go, said it adonai never said it so when we use the word jehovah does that mean that somebody's a bad christian because they use the word jehovah no but, unless they start a religious cult uh, yeah. based on that name then it's like well actually um <laughs> it's funny you should call yourselves that yeah Some of God's promises though, I think are worth remembering here. Uh, I will bring you out in verse six. I will deliver you verse six. I will redeem you verse six. I will take you verse seven. I will be your God verse seven, and I will bring you into the land verse eight. And so these are just good promises, just kind of those, those stake in the ground promises that God makes here. Um, yeah. Uh, Verse nine though, the people don't believe. Uh, they, they're doubting which is not going to be something that's uncommon
1: with the people This is just forward. the beginning of their relationship, right? This is a bad marriage in the making between Moses and the people. It's not going to go well,
0: right? Right? <laughs> right. Well chapter 6 wraps up with the genealogy of uh, Moses and Aaron and a couple names worth pointing out verse 23 you get two guys Nadab and Abihu Those are not going to be uh, great names mm-hmm. Here And then you get another guy, Eleazar, he's going to be a little bit more favorable. Mm -hmm. And then jump down to verse 25. I think you mentioned this guy in a recent podcast, but Phineas shows up there. Um,
1: And so he's uh, one to pay attention to as we continue on. Yeah, I guess I I noticed also before we jumped into that section, Moses is telling God again, hey, please, no, not me. But the, but Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How shall, how shall Pharaoh listen to me? Right. It's like, man, I, I, I get it. I, what you said is so helpful, but man, I don't get it. <laughs> I just don't. Right. But I'm talking to the Lord face to face. You know, he's got one of the best relationships in scripture that anyone has ever known. And yet he's telling God, no, I, I, I don't get it. But I suppose, perhaps, we do the same thing. Although, granted, not as spectacularly. But when we read God's word and we choose not to do what he says, we're doing the same exact thing just at a different degree. So maybe yeah. don't judge Moses so quickly. Maybe the three the the, the three fingers that are pointing back at you and you point at him ought to remind you that we're also equally culpable, if not more so.
0: Yep, yep, that's helpful reminders for sure.
1: Well, we made it. Yeah, we've only got a couple more to go. Yep. two, one, one more. one more. One more. One more. One more today. One more today.
0: Yeah. Anyways, you'll listen to that one tomorrow if you tune back in. That's Keep great. reading your Bibles, and we will check in with you guys again tomorrow. Bye, y'all. Bye.